Well, since we've had a, a week off, I thought it would be appropriate to spend just a moment doing a little review on where we have been in our series together. For those of you who have been kind of bopping in and out in our, of our journey, we have been looking at the question of what does it really mean or what does it take for us to live with the end in mind? We've embraced the fact that the scriptures affirm that God wants us to be successful. He wants us to experience abundance in our lives. He has come that we might have life and have it abundantly, as Jesus said. But we have been operating under the concern that we might spend all of our lives trying to climb the ladder of success only to get to the top and find that we're leaning against the wrong wall. So we've tried to stop and make sure we understood what does it mean to, to be successful. To understand what does it really mean to be wise in terms of living with the end in mind. So that when the time comes, when the road of our life moves off into eternity, which is what our picture is supposed to indicate, that we will, that we'll, we will move forward into that with, with a fullness of having lived a meaningful, fulfilled, significant, and success, godly, successful in the eyes of God life. And so the first thing we did a few weeks ago was to say, well, what is success? I mean, it's hard to aim at something when we don't know what it is. And that's very difficult for us. In fact, I think uh, we, we, the, the reason why this is so important is just seen in the Scripture. You know, where, where your treasure is, how you understand success... That's where your heart's going to be. You know, and, and many of us, our struggle spiritually is we want to move towards God, but there's this gravitational pull that keeps pulling us back because where our treasure is, is not anywhere close to God. So we've tried to really look at what this definition of success is. And because we've embraced an understanding that life is a journey, it's not a destination, but a journey, we've had this definition of success that, that in the eyes of God, we are successful if we have an ongoing, heartfelt commitment to being the person that God intends us to be in every area of our lives. Whether we're 6 or 66, whether we're male or female, whether we're married or single, no matter what circumstances we are in, when, when we have an ongoing, a consistent, enduring, persevering, heartfelt, it's what we want, and it's a commitment that actually produces change to being who God wants us to be, we're successful in the eyes of God. Now, we spent the second week talking about the things that can distract us because it's hard to stay on focus. And I'm not going to run back through all those things. You can go and look at those from the Sermon on the Mount. Then the week after that, we talked about the spiritual shock absorbers that we need along that journey. Along this journey of life, we hit a lot of huge potholes and there's a lot of pressure just to kind of knock our whole lives apart. And we talked about the theological, the biblical truths that we can build into our lives that give us the ability to absorb those shocks and stay on the journey and not be left kind of disabled on the side of the road. But then last, the last time we met together, a couple of weeks ago, we took a real turn. And we began to look at very specific areas of our lives and we looked at our work lives first when we're the jobs that we do. The vast majority of us between the ages of 18 and 65 are going to spend 80% of our lives or more working and sleeping. I mean, almost all of our lives is dedicated to storing up the energy so we can go make a living. And we have very little time to go do anything else. So if we can't be successful at work, we're not going to be successful at all. And so what we really looked at was the scriptural foundation that work for us is worship. That our ability to work, to make a living, the giftedness that God's given us, the role that we can play, the impact that we can ha have for God in our environment at work is, is a form of worship. And we walked through, and there's some wonderful things to look at. But 
And you can go back and find all of those sermons on our website. Just under the, there's a resource tab in there for sermons, and, you, and they're all there. And, and, if, it, it, and all of them are excellent, not because I preached them, but they're just good words, you know. I've got to tell you, you know, it's, it really is humbling to stand up here and talk about success. Because I'm not talking from experience. I'm talking from the foundation of God's Word. And it's only by grace, God's grace, that I, that, that, that I get to communicate these things to you. But today we, we look at something that cuts across every fabric of our lives. It started the moment we were born, and, it, and it's not going to end to the moment that we leave this planet. And that's relationships. You know, th- this isn't eating the elephant. This is eating the blue whale. You know, it's just massive, you know, and, and I'm going to break it into two parts so that it's just like a couple of elephants, you know, and so this week we're going to look at like friendships, just relationships in general. Next week, we're going to look at family, you know, marriage, parenting, all that kind of wonderful stuff, the easy stuff. You know, we're going we're to deal with that next week. This week, I want to talk about relationships because listen, we were built by God to be people of relationships. God has revealed himself to us. We, we don't fully get it, but God is one, but he's three. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one, but then he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God, in his essence, is relational, and then he makes us in his image. And that just means, among many things, that you and I are designed to be relational people. Our lives, our identity, our character, our personalities, everything are incomplete without relationships. We are designed to relate to God through faith in Christ, and we are designed to relate to one another. In fact, uh, in doing some prep work for the, this message, I, I kind of said, well, how many, how many, fr-? I Googled the question, how many friends will people have in a lifetime? I never really did get an answer to that. But what I did get is that at any particular time in a person's life, they, once they kind of get into the school age and moving on, they have upwards to 200 people who are part of their lives. Now, they're not all at the same level. They say usually there's about 15 people who are the kind of the inner circle. That's family and close friends, you know, best friend kind of thing. And then, then there's a wider span, and they, most of them talk about the fact it's kind of triples. There's about 45 people beyond that who are, are kind of your, your social network, if you will. They're, these aren't the people you spend most of your time with, but they're people that you spend time with. They're maybe people in your life group or whatever. You know, they're just people in your neighborhood that you become close friends with, people you go camping with, you know, college buddies, but people who are kind of on, the, on, on an inner circle. And then most of us have upwards to 150 people who are just a part of our lives. They're the person who's got the office down the hall from us. It's the mechanic that we've gotten to know because our car keeps breaking down so many times. We, we're on a first-name basis. and you know, <laughs> you know, There's lots of those kinds of people in our lives. There's all kinds of relationships. Now, I, I want to share some truths with you this morning, and, and I, I'm going to kind of dart around a little bit, but, but all of these, I think, are, are... I just couldn't get away from the need to communicate them to you this morning. And, and the first is, you and I... As children of God, if we have people who have encountered our alienation from God, like Tony was talking about, and have come to a point where we've identified that we need a relationship with God to make sense out of life, and God is a part of our lives through our faith in Christ, you and I have all of the resources to be successful at relationships. There isn't any reason why we should be failing at relationships. Now, let's just walk through that a little bit. The climate of faith, I think as I put it in your outline, the climate of faith creates an environment for successful relationships. You know, and, and I want to point you to, to a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 23. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 22. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 22, it's on page 836 in the Black Pew Bibles that are underneath your chairs. 
I want to read Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. And, and just as a foundation for these statements that I want to make. Because again, you shouldn't be interested in what I think. You should be interested in what the Bible teaches. And that's what I'm trying to communicate with you this morning. Now, I want you to remember this in context. The triumphal entry has already happened. Jesus is in the final days of his life. He's in the city of Jerusalem. He's preparing for Friday when he's going to be crucified. And, and the religious leaders, you know, they, they realize something is up. And this is their moment to get rid of Jesus. And so the Sadducees and the Pharisees and a whole bunch of other guys are coming up to him and they're asking him all these hard questions because they're trying to catch him in some kind of heresy that they can use to discredit him in the eyes of the people, sneak him off into a side alley and have him be gone. He's already kind of dealt with the Sadducees in this chapter who are asking all kinds of questions about the resurrection. Then the Pharisees come. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together in the same place. And one of them, an expert in the law. Let's not get the dummy from the class. Let's get the smartest guy in the class to ask the toughest question. Asked a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And he, and that's being Jesus, said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Well, first of all, I just suggest to you that, that, that the inseparable connection between loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. I mean, those two things are almost inseparable. You notice that Jesus didn't offer just the one commandment. Love your Lord, Lord your God with all with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And this to be done because the guy had only asked for the greatest commandment, right? Jesus said, no, no, you, you, can't, you can't deal with the first one without dealing with the second one. They're inseparable. Now, I can't come up with a better definition of successful relationships than love your neighbor as yourself. I can't. I don't think you can either. That's a pretty good one. I mean, and, and what I want to suggest to you this morning is that as people of faith, people who have embraced this wonderful Christ-like nature that God has poured into us through our faith in Jesus Christ, people who have a passion for God, who love the Lord the God, our God with all of our mind and soul and strength, you know, when, when we, and, and out of that, since God loves people, it causes us to fall in love with people, and, we, and therefore we love our neighbor as ourselves. The very nature of our faith makes us people who should thrive in and be successful at relationships. And then, you know, the scripture teaches us in, in Romans that if, if, if we're in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. That the person of the Trinity, known as the Holy Spirit, comes and takes res- residence in us. And the fruit of the Spirit, what he's primed to produce within us is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. That's not a bad list of qualities to have if you want to have good relationships, right? <laughs> you know, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, self-control. You know, just wonderful stuff, which I am lacking a few. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm lacking a few of those, especially at certain times, you know. And we, we have been set up by God to be successful at relationships. Now, let me tell you something you already know. If the climate of faith creates an environment for us to thrive in relationships, we understand that we're pretty good at polluting the environment, right? I mean, we, we know who we are in Christ, and we're in this journey to put off the old self and to put on the new, but in that journey, we, we have this wonderful capacity to pollute this environment for great relationships. And, and one of the things, so, I mean, it's, it's interesting that, that um, I, was, I read some articles this week, and one of them was by a, a Dr. Um, um, Ortman, Morton Ortman, and he, he, he used this statement to open up a lecture. He says, we have a better chance of surviving cancer today than we do of having successful long-term relationships. Isn't that sad? You know, it is as easy today to get a divorce in our state as it is to cancel your cell phone contract. Just pay a fee and you're out. No fault divorce, right? You don't have a reason. 
Yeah, you've got to go through some legal process. It's, it's a, we, we just have this incredible capacity to pollute this wonderful environment. Happens in the church, you know. More new churches have been started because churches split, <laughs> you know. We have this wonderful ability, wonderfully bad ability, to pollute the environment that God's given us. And, and so, you know, um, it's interesting that, that in a lot of my reading for this series... A lot of the focus when it came to relationships on how to play well with others really focused on not on what you need to do, but what on you may need to make sure you don't do. It's like if you know where your weak spots are and you focus your prayer and your study and your spiritual attention to preventing those things in your life, then you're going to be far better and more successful at loving your neighbor as yourself. And so one guy, Dr. Tommy Nelson, who wrote a book called The 12 um, Essentials of Godly Success, he listed 40 things that can make people hate you. I'm paraphrasing just a little bit. But, but he, he listed 40 things that you can do so that you can make sure you have no friends. Um, I don't have time for 40. This article I just mentioned, when we talked about the disposable relationships, about our, the survival rate of long-term relationships, they listed 10. I'm, I'm just going to give you four because it's five minutes to 10. And I got one more point after this. I'm just going to give you four. If you want to drive people out of your life so that you don't have successful relationships, these are the four things you've got to do. And, and, and you could probably add to this list, but I'm just going to give you four that really speak to me, if you will. And if, and if, and if you want to have good relationships, you've got to make sure you're not doing these things. You've got to say, God, here's my problem. Help me stop these things. And, and the first thing I tell you, if you don't want to have any friends, just be a downer. Just be a downer. You know, just be negative all the time. You know, just be critical. Just be angry and pessimistic and overly sensitive. I mean, there's a proverb that speaks to every single one of those. And all of us know people like that, right? And sometimes we are those people. You know, we're just a downer, you know, and, 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 and talk about some of us just have a negative perspective all the time. The, the Proverbs 15, 15 says this, a miserable heart means a miserable life. You can make your own future, Tony. You're talking about, I can make my own future. Well, if you want to have a miserable heart, you can make a miserable life for yourself. You just can. And you can make life for everybody else miserable. Talk about being too sensitive. A fool's anger is known at once. That's it, man. They, they, I'm not going to take that. Off they go. I, I remember one time talking to a pastor, and he pastored a large church. It was like 3,000 people. And he met some lady in a, in a grocery store. says, I don't go to your church anymore. He said, why? He said, well, because somebody made me mad. He said, one person out of 3,000 made you mad, and you left our church? And he's thinking to himself, I'm glad you left. This person's just way too sensitive. You know? I mean, angry. You know, it's almost just a, 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 a man of anger, of great anger, will pay the penalty. That's what Proverbs teaches us. You know, we, if, if, we, if we don't want to drive people out of our lives, just, just be a downer all the time. You know, I, I, I tried not, I didn't want to identify any real life people because I didn't want to slander anybody, whatever. But so I, I went after television characters and movie characters that I knew. And, and this is going to show you how warped I am. But the guy who stood my, came out in my mind, remember the movie, the show Lost in Space? Remember Dr. Smith, you know? He was a downer, wasn't he? I mean, they would have just left him on a planet if they ever could, you know, but it just wasn't right. Because I mean, he was just always a downer, you know? <laughs> Sorry. So there's a downer. Be a downer. If you want to lose friends, just be a sniper. And I can be really good at this. You know, James, what does the book of James say? You know, be quick to listen, slow to speak. And he goes on in that passage to talk about the idea of, of that we shouldn't have blessing and cursings coming out of the same mouth. But some of us, we get ourselves into a lot of trouble in relationships with this little thing in our mouths. I mean, it's great for licking ice cream off of a cone, but it can destroy relationships, you know? And, and we, we can be sarcastic and, and you know, uh, 
Proverbs actually says there, there's one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword. Some of us are really good at that. We can be abusive. You know, the idea of harsh words, it says in Proverbs, stirs up anger. You can have a critical spirit. You know, the perverse man spreads strife. And the list could just go on and on. I mean, I've had some experiences like this. I, I remember when I was in college, my senior year, I, I lived with, with uh, my roommate, my sophomore, junior, and senior year. His name was Rich Bennett. Good friend of mine. Some of you remember I traveled out to Ohio before one of our building projects and, and, and spent a couple days with him and his family. And uh, so we've remained f- friends, not real close, but, but friends. And, and in college, we were real close. But there was a time when he was just dragging his feet and screwing around and not working on his project. And because I was doing the same thing, I could see it in him. So I was just sniping at him all the time, you know, about, oh, you, you, you know, with dinner, lunch, the whole nine yards. And so much so that one of the other guys in our close ring, he, he, he just kind of stopped hanging around at all. And finally, I said, what's up? He says, I just don't like the way you're, you're sniping at Rich all the time. You know, you can, you can drive away friends just by being a sniper, just using your tongue. Let it get going. For me, the, the, the character, again, Remember the show Gunsmoke? Wasn't Doc good at that, especially with Festus? I mean, he could just snipe, you know? And it's just, you know, it's, it's just interesting. We, we, but anyway, so another way you can just drive around friends, drive away friends, is just, just be about you. Just let it always be about you, you know? Just, just be a bore, if I can use that, you know, that, that, that idea. You know, the, the character for me is, is uh, remember Dr. Becker from the Becker series, series? You know, he was the most negative, sniping, self-centered guy there was, you know? And, and... But, but we, can, we can do this. We, we can just make life about us, you know? Talked about self-centered, you know? He who withholds grain, people will curse him. If you have it to give and you don't give it, people aren't going to like you. You got this superior attitude. <laughs> I love this proverb. It says, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven who can, who can give a discreet answer. I mean, you know, there's a way which we can just get on our high and mighty and we, we just know we're right. We're certain we're right, even though we're wrong. We can be condescending. It's interesting that some of us who, some who are, who are the, the biggest fools can shout the loudest. The heart of a fool proclaims folly. Or we can just be bad listeners. Fools give answers before they even hear, the scripture says. The last one is just about being a lousy friend. Just being a lousy friend. You know, and, and, and there's all kinds of proverbs that relate to this. Maybe the, the one, and we read a le- portion of it earlier, you know, a friend loves at all times. But a lousy friend only loves when things are going well. Or you can be lazy. Somebody who's just undependable, you know? They're just kind of lazy. Like vinegar to teeth or smoke to eyes, so is the lazy one to those who send them. You can be a, a gossip or a liar or a slanderer, somebody who can't keep friends. I mean, Proverbs 16, 28 says, a, la- a slanderer separates friends. I don't know if you could say it any more succinctly than that. The character that came to mind was J.R. Ewing from the Dallas series, you know? I had to go way back. I don't watch a lot of that kind of modern stuff anymore, you know? So anyways, but boy, he, he, he was a lousy friend. Anyways, uh, you know, you and I will just have a lot more successful relationships if we'll just keep from killing them. And you could build out your own list. I mean, you know, it, just, just read the book of Proverbs. Just read a chapter a day for a month. It'll speak to you. It's incredible, the stuff that you'll get out of there. I think I need to share one more thing. And I know our time is late. And, and I, but it's very important, I think, if we're going to have successful relationships. You know, again, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that leads directly into loving your neighbor as yourself. But if you and I are going to be successful in relationships, we have got to keep the flow of the relationship headed in the direction of edification. Now, what, I, what I'm really using is big terminology there, biblical terminology from, from Romans chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. And let me take just a moment to read that for you. Paul says, Now we who are strong 
have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. And here he's talking about spiritually. There's those who, who just aren't in the same places spiritually. Those of us who are strong spiritually have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us must please his neighbor for his good in order to build him up or in to edify him. Now, that's wonderful biblical language. You'd really understand it a whole lot better if I simply said, you've got to deal with peer pressure if you're going to be successful in relationships. I don't care if you're 13, you know, in junior high school, or whether you're 45 in the midst of the, the, the rocket time of your career. If you are in a position where you are not negotiating the pressures that your peers are putting on you to move away from God instead of move to God, you're not going to be successful in your relationships, at least not in the eyes of God. You might have a tremendous career, but you're not going to be successful in your relationships in the eyes of God. Now, you want to, we are all susceptible to peer pressure. Nobody's beyond that. The, this psalm that I, I listed for you in your outline talks about the fact when the Israelites went into the land, they, they didn't do what God asked them to do, which was to drive everybody else out. And then they succumbed to peer pressure and they started worshiping idols. You want another example? Just go look at 1 Kings chapter 11. That's talking about Solomon. Remember Solomon, the son of David, who got to build the temple? The guy who God said to him, hey, you can have anything you want. He says, all I want is wisdom. The guy who got to pray the prayer of dedication that God's presence would be in the temple so when the people prayed to it and came to it, God would hear their prayer. That guy, in chapter 11, he falls away because he gives into the peer pressure of his 700 wives. If he had 700 wives, he certainly didn't get much wisdom from God, I'll tell you that. But, but, uh, but, uh, you know, but, but he, his heart just moved away. He just gave in to peer pressure. None of us are above it. Me, you, anybody. We all have to be aware of it. And we have to use wisdom in regards to those we allow to influence us. You know, Psalm 119, and I, I just want to read this passage for you. There's a couple, couple of quotes from, from Psalms 19, 119. I'm going to finish quickly, I promise. David writes, I am a friend to all who fear you, to those who keep your precepts. Now, we are going to have people, and we should have people in our lives, who, don't, who, who aren't walking with God. They don't care about God. I mean, the gyms in the arts. What was your other, the other friend's name? Chris. You know, who, who are loving on Tony. We're going to have people in our world that, that are, they don't have any interest in God. And they are, by definition, a bad influence, if you will. We, we are sent by God. You know, Jesus said, I didn't come for the, for the healthy. I came for the sick. We're supposed to go to those people. And we're supposed to minister. They're supposed to become our friends. But that's not the same thing as allowing them to influence us to move away from God. And we need to pay attention to the flow of the influence as to whether it's moving us closer to God or away. We need to use wisdom on who we allow to influence our lives. The people who are shaping what we believe, what we're passionate about, etc. Are they the ones who fear the precepts of God and are walking with them? And, and I got to tell you, a part of this journey is that you have to be ready to stand alone. You, ha- you have to be ready to stand alone. You know, in Psalm 119, verse 51, he put it this way. The arrogant constantly ridicule me, but I do not turn away from your instruction. You know, in First Peter, he's, he's saying, you know, your, your friends, these people, got, the gospel's changing their lives. He says, your friends are looking at you and saying, well, why aren't you going and doing all this stuff with us? We're, we're still out partying. We're doing this and that. We're still living the high life. How come you're not going with us? And you get isolated. He says, you have to be willing to stand alone. I, a, a moment I, I experienced in this, I, was, I went to a bachelor party one time. And, um, and the, the essence of the party was, was a Boston Harbor cruise on a Friday night. And so, you know, there was a lot of drinking and all that kind of stuff on the, on, on the ship. And, and, I, and I, didn't, I didn't drink at all. I, just, I was a designated driver, which is fine by me, whatever. We came back in, and, and I thought we were headed home. 
This is, they all wanted to go to the combat zone in Boston. This is back when there was a combat zone in Boston. So here it is like 1 o'clock in the morning, and they're all inside the bar, and I'm standing underneath the streetlight on the corner by myself. You know, it felt good, and it felt bad all at the same time. Not to mention that I witnessed a stabbing across the street while I was standing there, <laughs> which is the reason why you shouldn't be there in the first place. But there's, sometimes you just have to be ready to stand alone. See, the definition that God gives us of success is love your neighbor as yourself. We need not to hurt our neighbor by the way we relate to them. And we need to build our neighbor up so that they move closer to God. And we do that by being careful as to who's influencing us, either away from or to God. You were made to thrive in relationship. Let's pray together. God, thanks for your word today. A lot to absorb, and there's lots to think about. There are many people in this room who've experienced deep hurt in relationships. And there are some of us in this room who have been the cause of deep hurt in relationships. God, we want to do better. We can do better. You've made it possible for us to do better. And through the choice of repentance and the choice of faith today, we seek to be better. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.